This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, May 11th, 2023 edition. And if you look at, back at how the stock market has performed over the past year or so, what you'll find is a lot of movements, a lot of dipping and diving, uh, a lot of rallies unexpectedly, I think, for many people. And overall, markets haven't really gone very far after that initial surge lower uh, early last year uh, in in asset prices we've kind of chopped and that is a different environment most people are used to some sort of trend usually trending higher but oftentimes trending lower and a non-trending market can be frustrating it can be difficult to understand which way to move it wears on people, wears on sentiment. And ultimately, it will it will frustrate the even the professional investor. But for you, you need to see through the noise and understand that the market is what it's going to be. You're not going to influence it. You have to play with the cards that are dealt to you. And that means finding opportunities is a little bit harder than it used to be. 25%, 30% returns, those just are difficult to come by. But it doesn't mean that you can't make headway towards your goals. And that's what we are here to help you do, is to put one foot in front of the other, Assess what's around you, even as confusing as it might be, and continuing to continually make good decisions with your money based on the facts that are in front of you, not the emotions that are a part of human nature. We all exhibit emotions, mainly fear and greed in markets, but quelling them and focusing on the facts will go a long way to help you grow your nest egg and ultimately reach financial freedom and avoiding the pitfalls that so many people fall prey to, right? Paying too close attention to headlines, chasing returns, getting tips from your cousin or your neighbor or your friend. Usually those things lead to bad decisions. So our goal is to help you become a more successful investor. And we encourage your participation with your finance and investment questions. And if you're listening live during our four to five live stream broadcast, and you're listening online or via radio, I encourage you to reach out right now at 888-99-CHART and ask your question. Or if you're listening after hours, you can call that same number, leave a message, and we'll answer it on an upcoming show. So I've got a lot of material to cover on today's podcast, and 
The main one is in regards to this question. Does it pay to diversify by style? So we're going to look at the, the recent trends in not just growth versus value, but also large versus small. And I think that data will be interesting for all. We also have some voice bank questions to get to. One is in regards to MTY Food Group and the other UNG. And I have some iTunes review questions to hit on as well. So we have this all planned for you on this episode of Vest Talk. And of course, your live calls at 888 chart Now let's take a look at the market today. Modest down day, about a quarter percent down in the broad market. Small caps definitely underperformed, down 80 basis points. There you had some decent moves from the likes of Goodyear Tire, Unity Software, uh, as well as some losers like Sonos, Marathon Digital, obviously connected to crypto, Riot Platform is another one tied to crypto, Upstart Holdings, uh, one uh, tied to pay, not pay, buy now, pay later, uh, Tilray, a cannabis company, that was down big, Polestar, the car company, that was also down big. So pretty interesting moves today. Uh, still in the midst of earnings season, we hit on that uh, kind of yesterday. Uh, but overall, it was a down day, and we all continue, we, we kind of are pushing towards this debt ceiling fight in a, in a bigger way. The bond market's paying much attention to it. The stock market, not quite as much. The dollar was strong, and I think that was really what uh, brought the negativity in markets today. You don't want to see a strong dollar if you want to see liquidity improve. That's what happened all last year. The dollar was stronger, and that tightened liquidity. And really, since the fall, the dollar's been lower. So will we break higher? Will we break lower? The dollar's been kind of in a choppy trading range over the past couple months. And equities have been in a choppy trading range. So kind of a holding pattern really across the markets to see what's ha what happens with Fed policy, with the banking crisis, as well as this debt ceiling. And there's really not a whole lot of clarity on any of it. <laughs> and that's why I think you're getting this choppy period. So that's where the market is. We'll, uh, we'll tackle another day tomorrow after a couple of modest down days but uh, remain in a tight trading range. Now let's pivot over to our first voice bank question now. Do you have your opinion on buying this ETF for a long-term investment? F-E-N-Y. F-E-N-Y. Thank you so much. All right, this is the Fidelity MSCI Energy ETF, F-E-N-Y. And if you, this is, this is, the smaller version, I guess you could say, of the XLE. XLE is kind of the, the bigger iShares uh, version. These are all U.S. equities. 16% uh, is in Chevron. 23% is in Exxon. So you're talking right there. Roughly 40% in just those two names. Then ConocoPhillips, that's 7%. So you're pushing on 50% of the portfolio in those top three names. And you know, both of them are all, excuse me, all three of them are in pretty good shape, but that's what you're getting access to, uh, as well as some of the oil service names, SLB, Schlumberger is fourth on the list, one of the, the best um, oil service names out there. So, uh, but most of these are EMP companies, and that's what you're, you're gaining access to. Let me take a look at the price here, right, meaning the, the fees that you're paying on this particular ETF, and that is about eight basis points, 0.084% is the expense ratio. And let me take a look at the XLE, which is the Energy Select Spiders ETF, 
that one is at 0.1%, so 10 basis points. So this is a little bit cheaper with basically the same portfolio overall. And so, yeah, I think if I'm going to go with an energy ETF, I would go with one that's uh, just slightly cheaper, and that would be FENY. Uh, you don't want to go overboard with uh, the energy exposure, but I, I tell clients in this environment, you want this, this exposure to the energy space probably to be in the teens if you are an aggressive investor, uh, maybe even higher. So I would give uh, FENY a thumbs up for broad exposure to the energy space. Now we're going into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via the live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Bay Area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. Here. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99CHART. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is my name calling from the state of Washington. Uh, thank you guys again for taking our questions and making the show entertaining as well as educational. It's been a great help to me. I'm calling in regards MTY Food Group. The stock symbol is MTYFF. I don't own any shares. I was thinking about buying shares because the evaluation seems good, but it's also kind of a, a food retailer that is mall-based and everything like that, but... Think, uh, wondering what your guys' opinion on the stock was. Thank you, guys. All right, this is MTY Food Group. It is a franchiser in the quick service and casual dining food industry. And it has brands such as Big Smoke Burger, Cafe Depot, Country Style, Croissant Plus, Cultures, a bunch of other ones, Juice One, Muffin Plus, a uh, bunch of random ones. I've never really heard of any of these, so that's a, a bit concerning. And plus, this is an OTC company over the counter trading at a billion dollar market cap. So Nero is a bit weary uh, of these type of names to, to be honest with you. Now it does look somewhat on the cheap side, but for an OTC stock, not that cheap, right? 11.6 times enterprise value to EBITDA, which is okay. 
uh, but kind of around the longer term average of where it typically trades, maybe slightly below. Uh, I, I love this type of business, very simple business, franchising uh, these names. And, but, but earnings are coming back down to earth after a big surge uh, during COVID. So, you know, where does it even out at, I think is the, the big question. But it is has been trending higher, at least the, the earnings and, and cash flows have been trending higher, which I like. Cash from operations right now is 107 uh, million. Back in 2015, it was only about 30 million trailing 12 months. So it, it has been a consistent grower and I, I like that. Let me take a look at the chart here, MTYFF. Yeah, very illiquid name. The chart is very neutral, uh, not, not bearish, not bullish. Um, you know, nothing, it doesn't light me up, especially the fact that it is an OTC stock, right? Very illiquid company where it's hard to sell the shares if you want to. So overall, I don't like the risk versus reward because of that illiquidity. Remember, liquidity is a factor. You have to consider it. If you need your money back, how much of a dive are you going to have to take to find a buyer for it? This is the same thing we talk about with private REITs and, and private bond funds that selling out of them is not the easiest thing in the world. And sometimes you have to take a discount in order to sell out of it. And then these OTC stocks, they're the same. So overall, I like the type of business it's in. I just don't like that it's OTC over the counter. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. The Puma 51 says, this is a broad question, but I'm keeping about a third of my money in SPAXX. Money market fund, what is your prediction of what the money market funds will yield towards the end of the year? I'm happy taking the interest from the principal to invest long term. Uh, well, money market funds are starting to yield a pretty decent amount now. Why? Because a lot of them are investing in short-term treasuries, and short-term treasuries are yielding over 5%. And so you on a lot of these money market funds, after their fee, you're getting still close to 5%. This one, seven-day yield is 4.72%. And so that's a nice yield, but it is floating, right? This is not fixed. And so if the Fed starts to cut rates, which the market is predicting based on the yield curve, that rates will be cut by year end, really starting in September. And uh, I don't see that being too wrong. And so <clears throat> it's fine to keep money in there now, but don't expect a four and a half, five percent yield for uh, the next year plus. Probably the next three, maybe six months. But beyond that, I would expect that yield to fall back down to a more reasonable level. And mainly it's because this, the economy can't handle 5% rates long-term. Just untenable. Money will continue to flow out of the banking system and into these money market funds, into treasuries, and that will see more banks go under. And ultimately that will eventually have an impact on economic activity and the Fed will, or is going to have to bring rates back down to a level where it's uh, more comfortable for the financial system. And that'll happen probably later this year. 
Now we're heading into a break. I'm ready to take your questions now at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point looks into the story behind this question Does it pay to diversify by style? Now, if you look at the Morningstar style box, and that's Morningstar really kind of pioneered this uh, way to slice up the market uh, growth versus value and small, mid, and large. Right, So there's kind of nine boxes in that. And correlation between these groups, these nine groups, tend to be fairly high, meaning most stocks move together. But small stocks tend to have the lowest correlation with the broader market, as well as value stocks. So those are kind of the two where uh, they tend to zig a little bit more than the market zagging, but it's still moving in generally the same direction. Now, since 09, the, the, the dominant story in the style universe has always been the larger and the growthier, the better. And this has a lot to do with indexing and just flows into those type of names. But last year, the broad Morningstar US market index finished with a 19.4% decline and large cap growth, or just the growth in general, growth index, that was down... 36.4%, whereas the value index only lost 0.7% last year. So one of the largest gaps in value versus growth. <clears throat> and if you understand charting, you understand when you get these large, we call them reversals, they tend to indicate a continuation of that trend. Right, or sorry, reversal of that of that longer term trend. So if you ever see a stock go up and up and up, and then there's this huge wide ranging reversal to the downside, that's a sign for the markets that hey, the trend the trend is changing, and vice versa, right? It's going down a lot, and then there's this big wide ranging rally and closing near the highs. That often means uh, a reversal of trend, and so this is likely what last year's signaling as well. Now, does, does there mean there can't be a retrace? No. Oftentimes, there's a retrace of that previous high where it rallies back towards it and then fails again. And that's kind of what you've seen so far in the markets this year. Now, last year, beginning of last year, the market's biggest stocks are trading at the steepest valuations almost on record compared to their smaller counterparts. So as a result, U.S. large cap fell or was down compared to the broader market for the first time in six years. She had six straight years where large caps were outperforming. Now, high correlation doesn't translate into similar returns. It just means that the direction is the same, not necessarily the magnitude. So large caps had the highest correlation with the broad market, 0.98%. While 
small cap value had the lowest 0.87%. So still highly correlated, but about 13, but when you say 0.87, that's about 13% less correlated than any other slice of the market. Now, if you go back three years, so that was that in that one year, one single year of last year, if you look three years going back, small cap or sorry, mid cap value had a 0.64 correlation coefficient and small cap value at 0.66. So both were about a third less volatile or less correlated than the broad market and same with large cap value. Okay. So value stocks tend to be over longer period, at least that three year period, about a third less correlated than the overall market. And that's why you saw that stark outperformance. So the big question for everyone else is that, okay, that three years is behind us. But what it tells you is that if you want to kind of buck the trend, value and smaller names tend to be the places that you want to allocate towards. And then you have to answer the question, was that more of a one-off? Do we reassert ourselves to that growth over value, large cap over small cap in the beginning of this year? And is that going to continue? I would say no. I think this is a retrace of that big reversal uh, of last year. But we'll see. So far this year, large cap growth has outperformed. Let's go to Craig in Seattle. You'll be next, but we're going to take a break real quick, and we'll get to Craig after this break. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. So your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today.
Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Go to Craig in Seattle, looking at E-O-N-G-Y. Yes, sir. Okay, what do you know about it? Well, you know, it's uh, been around for 100 years. I wanted more exposure to utilities and, and uh, energy, and I feel like they're well, diverse, well diversified across kind of three pillars of service there, both with facilities and, uh, you know, service delivery of the actual fuel and then the proprietary software they've got. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm impressed a bit with their track record, but I also have questions, so I thought I'd check with you. Yeah, so this is uh, Eon, and this is out of Germany, and uh, it has, you're right, it has uh, energy networks, uh, and it supplies energy to Germany, the UK, Eastern Europe, Netherlands, Belgium, Sweden, obviously a bit caught up in the, in the war, so that's always a, a geopolitical concern, uh, and then what about their ability to produce energy cheaply? Uh, typically, the, the, they've gotten a lot of uh, cheap natural gas from uh, from from Russia, and and that's uh, certainly been uh, disrupted. So, what are your thoughts on that? Have you looked into what kind of exposure they have there? You know, I have a little bit, but I also um, thought that there may be a boost once the uh, you know once the uh, war is resolved. I think they're going to be looking for, uh, you know, Russia's going to be looking for customers. And, and uh, I don't know, I may be reading it wrong. But, uh, you know, when things are resolved, I think there may be a boost there. Yeah. So, you know, what you've seen, it, it fell dramatically uh, during the, on the onset of the war, fell all the way from, what, $13 per share, kind of where it's at now, all the way down to seven and change and bottomed, when was this? In the the fall of last year. And has rallied back pretty strong. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that the worst fears of the crisis were not realized. That you know, energy prices, natural gas prices came down. They had plenty in storage. Uh, and the winter was relatively uh, subdued compared to what was, what was feared. What I think, though, is that longer term, that's going to be a big issue for Europe in general, that they're going to have to find a way to replace their energy or the, the cheap energy coming from Russia. And I think this is, they got lucky overall. Uh, and I don't think they really have a strong plan of how to replace that long term. You have one more bad winter and suddenly that could be a, a bigger issue. <laughs> and pre pen or pre war, this was a name that just that kind of did okay. Uh, its yield is what's the dividend yield four percent. You're getting a four percent yield. That's fine, but I don't see this as really compelling. To be honest with you, I don't like the geopolitical concerns, uh, and it's already rallied back. Right, sentiment was really bad, and you know everyone was very fearful back in the fall. And obviously, that was a, a fairly good risk versus reward. But that's the, the entire war fear has reversed, and I think therefore it's not trading really at a discount. And so <clears throat> I'm going to pass. I want a discount to take on that geopolitical risk, and that's no longer there. Right. Thanks for the call, Craig. Now, every now and then, I like to play two in a row, so let's do it now. The question came in earlier on the 24-7 Invest Talk Voice Bank at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. Long-time caller here from Minnesota. 
Love the show. Thank you for everything you've taught me over the years. Hey, I'm looking at a stock. Uh, the ticker symbol is AGCO. I believe it's um, dealing with home building and so forth. And um, it also pays a small dividend that has been increasing, I've noticed. I don't think it has a lot of debt. Seems to have some growth potential to it and kind of a good value play. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the stock. Would this be a good buy and hold for a period of time? Or is this something that might be kind of a value trap, I guess, and should be avoided right now due to the cycle we're in in the financial world and so forth? Thanks. I'm excited to listen to your thoughts and so forth on the show. Have a good day. All right, looking at AGCO, and this is not involved with the home building industry. It is a global manufacturer of agricultural equipment. So it has things like grain handling systems, livestock management solutions, self-propellant equipment, uh, sorry, self-propelled equipment uh, for the ag space. And it is a, a good business. Uh, it sells to over 3,200 dealers and distribution locations. So uh, it, it, it's grown. Revenue or earnings in 2016 were $2.47. Last year, they made $12.42. This year is supposed to make $14.57. Earnings are expected to be flat next year. So certainly growth is slowing down. Uh, and that's probably why you're seeing it traded about a nine forward-looking multiple, which I think is still relatively cheap. Its long-term profitability return equity is in the mid-teens. I think that's very solid. Doesn't have a lot of debt, about $2 billion in long-term debt on its balance sheet and a $9 billion market cap, free cash flow, about $410 million times interest earned, 99 So uh, it's, it's really uh, earning well above its, uh, its interest costs. And its cash from operations, while moderating a bit, is still very robust. So, you know, I'm going to give this one overall from a, a, a valuation standpoint and an operation standpoint a thumbs up. Now, technically, though, that's what I don't like. It's it broke down below the 100-day moving average back in March, and it's really just been chopping sideways since. This is what we call bearish consolidation right at the 200-day moving average, and it's hit it multiple times. So I don't like the technical makeup here, and it's the market telling me that there's going to be more of a mean reversion in earnings and is, is likely to come down some more. So I would definitely keep an eye on it and wait for the technicals to firm up a bit because I like the business. I like where it's at. I like that it's in the ag space and its long-term profit metrics are, are very solid. And I like the fact that it's fairly minimal debt compared to its size and its cash flow and its, uh, its, its cash from operations. So all of that picture is, is good to me. But the technicals just don't line up, and that's why I would keep it on the sidelines uh, and, and, and take a pass for now. Thanks for the call. Now, let's touch a bit on the housing market and the fact that a lot of homeowners have what we call golden handcuffs. And this is what's keeping the supply unusually low and making declines in prices more broadly very difficult. Now, nearly two-thirds of primary mortgages had an interest rate below 4%. And 73% of primary mortgages have fixed rates for about 30 years. And that compares to the current 
average 30 year fixed at about three, sorry, 6.4%. And despite the fact that a lot of people are in homes that just aren't good fits for them for various reasons, they're not moving. Right? A lot of them want to climb the ladder, right? They sell their mid-priced home and buy a higher-priced home, but that gap in what it costs is just too large. Some have grown out of their home. Some want to downsize, and I think that's a bit easier, especially those boomers that are retiring and their kids are off to, into the working world and they no longer need a four-bedroom and they can go to a two-bedroom. Some of them can sell, but a lot of them don't want to give up that or their homes are paid off, so they don't really need to s- sell. A lot of people are also would like to relocate their jobs, but they can't because they're locked into these lower mortgage rates. Now, in April, there are about half as many homes for sale as in April of 2019. Think about that. Half as many. Now, more than last year, more than April from last year, but only modestly so. And the number of newly listed homes on the market in the month of April, that fell 21% from a year earlier. So that increase is actually shrinking. And once again, while the median existing home sale price in March was only down 0.9% from a year earlier, despite home sales, existing home sales, down 22% year over year. Now, a healthy housing market has between four and six months of supply at current sales rates. But based on the current inventory, we're only at about 2.6 months. Now, that's up from the 1.6 months of January of last year. But 2.6 is still a tight market. Now, among people planning to sell their homes or buy new ones in the next 12 months, about 56% plan to wait for rates to decline. So what's interesting here is that and typically, a decline in interest rates will help the housing market. I actually think it's going to start to hurt the housing market a bit because it's going to put a situation where more people are willing to maybe trade in their 3% mortgage for a 4.5% mortgage. It's higher, but it's it still allows them to move to a more appropriate home for their lifestyle. Now, this has opened opportunity. For home builders, and this is why home builder stocks are doing so well. Newly built homes made up about one-third of total single-family home sales in the month of March. Historically, that ranges from 10 to 20%. So the homes are moving, but they're mainly in the new home market. So it's been a boon for the, the home builders and remodeling right? Okay, maybe I have a three-bedroom and I want a four-bedroom. I'm not going to move. I'll just add another bedroom, right? Now, there will always be home sellers due to life events, death, divorce, job relocation. And the fact that many people have paid off their homes. 38% of owner-occupied housing units have no mortgage. So they would never, they're not going to be moving really uh, because of mortgage rates very much, right? Maybe, maybe it would prevent them from upgrading, right? If they're 
in a mid-priced home and they're trying to upgrade and maybe they, they need to take a mortgage out for that, that could dissuade some of them. But overall, they're not going to be really having that golden handcuff. About 27% of March existing home sales were purchased with cash. So there's always those cash buyers as well. And ultimately, this is really, I think, holding back the the economy a bit uh, and, and the, the jobs market because people are, are locked and they don't want to move, say, out of state to find that higher paying job. And a lot of them are going to turn this into rentals and they don't want to give up that, that, that low mortgage. So I think that's another dynamic that's preventing uh, some inventory from coming on the market. So very interesting dynamic that's happening in the market, and that's why you don't want to <clears throat> you want to think through the various factors uh, in, in the market, so that you're really understanding. Okay, if w- this X Y Z happens, what will the result be? And it's not always going to be the same result as last time, because market dynamics shift, and we're in. This is another example of a new market dynamic. We've never seen rates go from doing QE, 0% rates, and then 18 months later, over 5% Fed funds rate, doing QT. It's just a massive shift in tightening policy. And, you know, that's, that's not a... That's not a typical environment. We haven't seen this since the 70s. And so uh, that's why you're not seeing really prices decline. All right. Now, Steve, I've been telling you that we are in this, uh, these cycles that are, are different, uh, that five cycles that fit uh, this time. And that means that you need to be comfortable with a different style of investing. And if you need assistance on understanding whether your style is going to be appropriate for the new market regime, the new cycle that we're in, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. And we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. So if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment, you can do so by reaching out to us through investtalk.com or giving our office a call, 800 557 five, four, six, one. Yeah, we have an 800 number been around that long since 93. So, uh, you can leave a message, talk to someone live, set up a call, uh, hopefully soon. And the sooner we get on the phone or on a video conference, the sooner we can get your portfolio optimized. Now this is invest talk. We have now surpassed the 52 and a half million download mark. And Stephen, I thank you for that. So let's squeeze in another caller question now. Hello, this is David from San Luis Obispo. My question is about natural gas. Natural gas seems to be nearing its historical lows. However, most energy companies are at their all-time highs. So does an investment in UNG directly make sense? Thank you. This is where you really need to understand what you're owning. And just because it's titled the the natural gas fund doesn't mean you understand exactly what you're investing in. You, you're, you are investing in something that is correlated with natural gas, but you are buying futures. That's how they're gaining exposure. And there's cost to those futures, the, uh, the cost to roll those futures each month. And that's why UNG or any of these commodity-linked funds are going to be uh, very much uh, very, very poor long-term investments. And they can be good trading vehicles in the short term, but that's about it. 
Uh, I always say if you want to invest in commodities, invest in the companies that own the assets, own the assets in the ground that they're pulling, uh, they're pulling the asset out of uh, or pulling the commodity out of, excuse me, and making a profit on. And they have a history of doing that uh, in an efficient way, in an effective way. Not, oh, the hopes and dreams of uh, this development mine that they're going after. No, I want to see profits. I want to see cash flow. Uh, and that's why a lot of the energy stocks have held up relatively well because most of those uh, energy names, they're well diversified. They have oil revenue, not just natural gas revenue. Uh, and so they pull back, but they're still earning solid profits even at these prices. So no, you do not want to buy UNG. You want to buy the underlying energy names. Now we're heading into our final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. building your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is R from Tucson. I'm looking at two companies, CF Industries and Mosaic, MOS, Fertilizer Manufacturers wondering which of the two you prefer. They're both um, down significantly this year. And uh, I was wondering if you could suggest a, a good buy-in point or, uh, on one or both of these um, for a long-term hold. And I will listen on the podcast. Thank you for all you do for us. All right, this is very simple. It's going to be CF Industries. Why? Because they produce nitrogen fertilizers versus phosphate fertilizers, which Mosaic produces. And so, uh, and that's because nitrogen fertilizers are uh, in shorter supply than the phosphate ones and, and harder to uh, produce and uh, more impacted by the, uh, the war uh, in Ukraine. So, uh, definitely picking CF uh, Industries over Mosaic. Uh, and interesting, we had pretty high volume and a nice reversal today on CF. And so this uh, near near good support. So and we closed near the highs. So uh, this is uh, at least a first strong indication to me that we may be hitting those lows on CF industries. All right. Now let's uh, touch a bit on an adjacent industry, which is nuclear power. And it's having a bit of a revival in the US and Europe, uh, some momentum building towards building more. The, uh, the issue, though, is that the West doesn't have enough nuclear fuel and capacity to really ramp up the production. And right now, about 20% of U.S. electricity is produced by nuclear power, and about 25% of European electricity is uh, nuclear. And the big worry is that there's been an erosion of expertise in building reactors and the capacity to uh, refine the fuel. And this is really the product of what was a very interesting deal in 1993. And it was the brainchild of MIT researcher Thomas Neff and dub megatons to megawatts. Basically, they were, it was a deal to uh, take apart a lot of the Soviet era nuclear missiles and turn that into uranium for energy. And it's enough for that was in they bought uh, the U.S. bought 
500 metric tons of highly enriched uranium, enough for 20,000 warheads. So they converted 20,000 warheads to this fuel. Now, it was a win-win. Moscow got a bunch of cash, and Washington uh, addressed its proliferation uh, problem. And utilities, U.S. utilities, got really inexpensive fuel. However, the deal ended in 2013. And what happened was there was a bunch of cheap fuel dumped on the markets. And therefore, U.S. capacity kind of went under. And Russia became the world's biggest supplier of enriched uranium, supplying nearly half of the global capacity. And it's paying a company called Rosat Rosatam Rosatam Rosatam. There we go, Rosatam, I think. And this is a company partly owned by Vladimir Putin, and it still supplies as much as one fourth of U.S. nuclear fuel, and it's been exempt. That purchase of that has been exempt from sanctions. And they run uh, Ukraine's Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. It's Europe's largest, Europe's largest, and now it's under Russian control. But pressure is growing to expand Western uranium enrichment capacity, uh, mainly because of, of this problem. And there's a lot of new reactors that are safer, a lot that are uh, pushed by uh, Bill Gates, telling them it's less risky and more environmentally friendly. But it requires a different type of fuel, a nuclear fuel, that's similar to like high-octane gas. But the only source today is Rosatom. And that's an issue. So the big question is, how do we build capacity? And really, it's, uh, it's, there are companies that, that can do that, but they're going to need a little bit more uh, assurance from the government that, hey, this is going to be worth the investment. It's not going to be cheap to build out that new capacity. It's about $200 million. And they have PTSD from right the 90s and that deal. So I think it'll eventually get there when uh, we ultimately need that fuel. Uh, but something to watch for, because I do think it's a place to, of great uh, importance geopolitically uh, and domestically. And ultimately, I think it will be a great investment whenever we do really put money behind nuclear. And I think that it is coming. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Remember to follow the Invest Talk podcast on social media as well. Independent thinking showed success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.